Let's go to verse 1, start unpacking our meal today. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Look at the word stand fast. So what does that imply when Paul tells, tells them to stand fast? What does that imply uh, what can happen to you? There's something going to come to you that's going to try to get you moved off of where you are, to be moved from the gospel of grace. And so today we have an opportunity, the world today trying to move us out of the freedom that we have. Really, it's the subject is freedom. Stand fast in the liberty or the freedom that you have in Christ Jesus. Do you know that there's forces today that want to bring you into bondage as a Christian? Amen. That want to shut down the voice of the church, shut down our free access and our assembling together, and, and wanting to take our freedoms from us. And so it's up to us to stand fast. Say, I'm going to stand fast. Stand fast, therefore, in the freedom by which Christ has made us free. Look at the word therefore. When you see the word therefore, what should you ask yourself? What is it therefore? And so no one walks up to you and starts out therefore. And so if they say therefore, that means there's something that was said before. And so this was not written in chapter and verse at the beginning. And so Paul had just spoken to them and called them children of freedom. That you are the, of the free woman. You are free from the Mosaic law. You're free from bondage. You are free. Stand fast, therefore. Now, this word therefore is a favorite use of Paul that when he moves from talking about grace or teaching about grace and what grace has done to us, what grace has provided for us. And what, so, so when he moves from teaching doctrine, he'll use the word therefore, and therefore leads us into the practical application of the grace of God and appropriating it for our natural life, our horizontal life. And so like in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, those first three chapters are speaking of who you are in Christ, what you have because you're in Christ, and teaches the doctrine of grace. And then in chapter 4, he starts out with therefore. So therefore is a so what to the what of grace. The what of grace is what has grace made you? What has what is God's grace provided for you? But the therefore as the so what to the what. So so what? How does that impact in your life? How does it impact your marriage? How does it impact your kids and parenting? How does it impact your work life? How does it impact towards the lost and being a witness. And so Paul uses therefore to introduce practical living. And chapter 5 and 6 are practical application of the grace of God in chapters 1 through 4. And so he says, stand fast in the liberty. Say liberty. liberty. That's another word is freedom. So freedom to a Christian, this is liberty to a Christian. And, and I want you to hear correctly because... When you get offended, I want you to be offended at least by, by clear, hearing clearly what I'm saying. Be, be, be offended properly. <laughs> so I'm going to make this very plain to you. Freedom to a Christian means that what we do and don't do has no bearing on our salvation and our righteousness and acceptance before God. He said over here, make sure you properly hear it so you can be properly offended by that. <laughs> Liberty or freedom that we have in Christ, freedom from the law, means that what we do 
or what we refrain from doing has no bearing on our being righteous or accepted by God. Why? Because we're accepted by God. Why? Because of what Jesus did. Jesus offered a perfect life to God. He lived under the law, 613 commandments. He, he perfectly fulfilled that law in, li in, in his life. And then in his death, he took all of our sins, all of the things that we did wrong, and he took it upon himself. And we accept Jesus as a divine exchange. Our sin and sins for his righteousness as a man lived as, as and for you under the law. It's given to you. It's a perfect righteousness. And God moves in your life, not based on your level of righteousness, but his perfect righteousness. He heals you because of his perfect obedience, not your version of it. That's called freedom. Freedom from the bondage of striving to try to be good enough and failing. But there is... Uh, Let's talk about, first of all, we have been made free. Free from what? The context is you're free from the Mosaic law. Say the Mosaic law. Mosaic. Look at Romans 7, look at verse 6. Now, I just made an astounding statement before I move on there that liberty or freedom to a Christian means that what we do and don't do has no bearing on our salvation or standing before God. But I want you to see that's vertical. Vertically before the Father. But guess what? You have a horizontal life you're living. I have, I'm just going to give you a piece of knowledge. When you got saved, you didn't get a private rapture. <laughs> you're still here. And the biggest question is, why am I still here? Because he's left you a horizontal work to do called the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion. And we are to be a billboard for Jesus in our natural lives. And we are to have a ministry to our spouses, to our children first, then to our workplace, and then to the lost. We have a horizontal. So let me say something. Vertically, what we do and don't do has no bearing on our salvation and righteousness before God. But what we do and don't do has a great bearing on our natural life and relationships. What you do and don't do has a bearing on your marriage. Now, don't look right now. We don't want extra marital counseling here. Anybody married for very long, you realize what you say or not say or what you do and you don't do has a bearing on your marriage. What you do and what you don't do has a great impact on your children. What you do and don't do has a great impact at work. Like if you don't show up for work after a few days, when you get there, you'll have a nice, pretty little piece of paper. It's pink. And they'll invite you to find your fortune elsewhere. And what you do and don't do has a, has a big part of your witness. If you don't keep your word. And unbelievers are looking at you and other Christians are looking at you. You don't keep your word. You don't show up at on your job on time, you loaf, look, just look busy when the boss looks, you take long lunches, you don't keep your word, it's shoddy work, you lie, you cut corners, horrible witness. Well, I don't care, I'm righteous. Isn't that a great attitude? I'm righteous, I could care less about anybody else. Is that the heart of Jesus? No, no, no. no. 
And so what you do has a big impact, so keep in balance on this. But he's made you free from the Mosaic law in your relationship vertically with the Father. Look at Romans 7, look at verse 6. Romans 7, look at verse 6. It says, but now, say now. <laughs> right now. Last time I checked, it's now. But now, it's now again. But now, I mean, it's now again. But now we have been delivered from the law. Say, I have, I have been, delivered been delivered from the law. From the law. Having died to what we were held by so that we should serve. Well, see, well, grace just causes me to rest. Just sit down, get in my hammock. No, no, no. What does grace do? It causes us, we're dead to what we're held by, trying to perform for God. But here it says, so that we should serve. Serve in the newness of our spirit. In the King, New King James, it's the capital S, could be a little s, in our born-again spirit. Serve God out of our born-again spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. And so raise your hand if you're glad you're free from the Mosaic law. Because bacon's allowed. Sizzle, sizzle, sizzle. Well, bless God, I'm free from the law, brother, so let's go live it up and be wild and free. And there's Christians out there, so let's go smoke some dope and get drunk and lay around with other people. Well, hold on, hold on. Be not just because you're free from the Mosaic law doesn't mean you're lawless. Amen. We're not called to be lawless. There are higher laws that we're to be governed by, and these laws are placed within our born-again spirit by the grace of God, and they operate in our spirit. And if we'll tap into them, it'll cause us to live a holy life, a purified life. It will be the life of Jesus and manifest his fruit to people. Pastor, well, what are the three laws that God placed in my born-again spirit that are there 24-7 that I can draw from to live the Christian life? I'm glad you asked. The first law that he put within our born-again spirit is the law of love. James 2.8, it's called the royal law. And, the law, and it says in, James 5, it says in Romans 5.5, 5, the love of God has been shed abroad in our heart. Shed abroad means it, you're completely filled and full of the love of God in your spirit. Amen. Maybe not your soul yet, but your spirit is wall-to-wall -wall love. Amen. Tell someone you're full of it. <laughs> and the love of God will empower you to live a holy life and actually keep the Ten Commandments without trying. Because the more you receive God's love for you and receive it from the inside, receive that love into your soul. Guess what? When you start loving people with God's love, will you lie to them? Will you kill them? Will you commit adultery against them? Will you bear fault? So, so, so again, you will automatically live out what the requirements of the law was by love. But God provides that law of love on the inside. So they're 24-7 operating, flowing. The second law that God placed within your born-again spirit that you can live from and draw from at any time is called the law of faith. The law of faith. And that's in Romans chapter 3, look at verse 27. It says, 
Romans 3, look at verse 27. It says, where is boasting then? It's excluded by what law of works? No, by the law of faith. Say the law of faith. The law of faith. A law is a, super, is a universal principle that works no matter where you are. It works 24-7. If you tap into it, you can participate in it. And so you, when you got born again, you got the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ in your spirit, man. And so now you need to use it and actively use that faith to believe and trust God because when you're trusting God, you're not going to live in the flesh. And the third law is the law of life in Christ Jesus. The law of life in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, look at verse 2. This law is always constantly flowing and working in your born-again spirit, if you're born again. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. If you're operating in the law of life, you won't be living in sin, won't be partaking of death. You'll be living higher than that. You're tapping into the life of Jesus since it's on the inside of you. You know, the life of your born-again spirit is the life of Jesus Christ. He's the vine, you're the branch. You're joined in union. And when you draw from the life of God on the inside of you, you start bearing the fruits of Jesus. Did Jesus go around lying to people? Did he, uh, did he go around and, and hook up with people he shouldn't have hooked up with? No, no, no. Did he mainline drugs? Did he hurt people and abuse people and... Did he kill people? No, he gave life to people. And so, so, you, so when you're drawing on the life of Jesus, you'll manifest Jesus. So, so there's no reason not to manifest Jesus if you've been hooked up to Jesus. And so the law, the, life, the law of life in Christ Jesus, you tap into it and you will automatically be living above the flesh. So being free from the law gives us freedom. Say freedom. freedom. Well, freedom from what? Well, when you're, when you're free from the law, you're free automatically from three other things. You're, you're free from sin. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 56. I want you to see what strength, what, where sin gets its strength from. Where does sin get its strength from? Drugs. The sex industry. TV, movies, magazines. No, no, no. What gives, strength, what gives strength to sin? The strength of sin is the law. And the more you try in your own energy to overcome sin, the more you'll find yourself sinning. Well, pastor, are you trying to say that I'm not supposed to focus on sin? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. If you're trying to overcome sin, your focus is on sin. Well, pastor... Are you trying to tell me I'm not supposed to try to get out of sin? No, I'm saying you can overcome sin a different way. Instead of focusing on sin to get free from sin, you need to focus on Jesus to get free from sin. You, so there's only three steps to the victorious Christian life. And as you leave this church, if I can leave you with one thing you can take with you that you can remember from Pastor Rick is that victory in the Christian life comes with a three-step program. The first step is look at Jesus. Step number two is keep looking at Jesus. Step number three is keep on looking at Jesus. And so how do I see Jesus through the word? And I behold him as he is. Is he holy? 
Is he righteous? Is he healed? Is he victorious? Is he in worry? Is he fretful? Is he sick? Now I should see him as he is in the word, and I need to behold him as he is, and as he is, behold and believe. Behold and believe. As he is, so am I. Appropriation. And that's how transformation takes place. So you get free from sin when you get free from the law because the law makes you a navel gazer. You get your eyes on yourself as your Savior. Tell someone, don't be a navel gazer. It's dark in there. The next thing you find yourself free from is the devil. The devil. Free from the devil. I want you to see this in Colossians 2. Look at verse 14 and 15. When you're free from the law, you get free from the devil. Colossians 2.14 says, And Jesus, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, that's the law. That's the, that's the ordinances of the law that we didn't keep. Notice it says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. That's every time we failed to do God's will, forget to do his requirements, we failed. That was a debt against God's justice. It was something the devil could hold against us. And I don't care, because under the law, you're going to try to do the right things to become acceptable and be right with God. And I'm not just talking about Old Testament laws. We put our own laws in. How about read your Bible law? And you have three chapters that you have to read every morning so that God's happy with you that day. But the problem is you fell asleep during chapter one. And now you have five chapters the next day. And so, so how do you go about your Bible reading to catch up? Read, 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 read. I did it. What'd you get out of that? My spirit got it. Well, it wasn't your spirit that needed it. It was your dumb head. <laughs> How about our tithe law that I have to give to keep the, you know, we sometimes think he's not God our father. We think he's the Godfather. <laughs> You're going to break a kneecap or something if we don't give and give up the money, the earnest money that we're supposed to give up. No, no, no. We have our own laws that we put into, and it says, and, and whatever we do, and we're not perfect, the devil will use that and then condemn us and cripple us, and he weaponized, he's weaponized by the law. But I want you to see something in Colossians 2.14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he nailed it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Say Amen. So that did something to us, but it also did something to the devil. Look at the next verse. What does it do to the devil? Having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. I have a question. When you've been disarmed, that means you were armed. So what was he armed with? What was he weaponized with? The handwriting of ordinances that was against you, that is really, this takes place in your conscience, where you can use this weapon where you failed, and he will use it against you to defeat you into condemnation and guilt. Yeah. Glory to God. The devil 
has been disarmed and defeated. He has no arms and no feet. Disarmed and defeated. Some of my humor is time released. Three o'clock, you'll race from a nap and giggle. <laughs> that was funny. The third thing that you get free from when you're free from the law is freedom from the flesh. Look at Romans 8, 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life, say life, life. the law of life in Christ Jesus, will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Well, pastor, that's, about, that's healing, isn't it? Yes. But in context, that's not really what he's talking about. He's not talking about healing in this verse. Yes, it applies, but he's talking about something far beyond that because read it in context. If you read a verse and you take it out of context, you're left with a con. Take the text out of context. In verse 12, keep reading, therefore. When you see the word therefore, what do you ask? It's based on what he just said. Therefore, brethren, you're not debtors. You're not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Why? Because you have a higher power, the life of Jesus on the inside. You can draw upon for him to lift you up above the flesh and live in the spirit. I have a question for you. Who's the most miserable person on the planet? Let me tell you something. The most miserable person on the planet is not an unbeliever. The most miserable person on the planet is, an uh, is a believer living in bondage. Because you were born for freedom. Born to be free. And there's something in your spirit, man, that cannot live and be happy with bondage. Patrick Henry stood up one day when they're talking about independence from Britain. Should we declare independence? And Patrick Henry stood up and said, Give me or give me, give me liberty. Well, you don't have to die because Jesus already died for you and he's already made you free. He's given you freedom already. See, the Revolutionary War is already fought. And we've been given our freedom. But will you keep it? Will you stay free? Patriot. Are you going to stay free? I'm talking this in the natural, but I'm talking spiritually as well. He has set you free through his blood, but you have the opportunity every day to be brought back into bondage to the law, to, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the devil, to your flesh. Are you going to stay free? And do not be entangled again, say again, again, with a yoke, a bondage, entangled, ensnared. Those in legalism are entangled and held in a vicious cycle of try, fail, and condemnation. Try to, to, try to be as you ought to be. Try to do everything you ought to do. Stop doing everything you should stop doing. And you try, but you're going to fail. If you're, if you're trusting in your own flesh and your own ability and your own resource and willpower, raise your hand if you're strong, have strong willpower. Well, some people are like, no, I'm going to lie in church. I mean, <laughs> why would I lie in church? Do you know your willpower might be strong, but it's not perfect? I'm talking about unaided by the Holy Spirit, your willpower will give out. It's just like your willpower 
is uh, any moment you can do anything you want to do. You have freedom. I can hold this phone up right now. I can choose to hold this phone up. It's like my, this is my willpower. But hold on 10 minutes from now, 50 minutes from now, an hour and a half. This thing is, a, I don't care, at some point, this is going to hit the ground and aided by another force. So you're held, in, you're held in a vicious cycle of try, fail, and then condemnation. And when you're condemned after a while, the devil helps you. He'll whisper, you didn't try hard enough. See, first he'll beat you up. You shouldn't have done that. But then he'll come around to the other ear and say, hey, you didn't really give it the college try. You could have done this different. You, you really didn't really make that commitment firm. So, so just give it a better, you'll overcome this time. You'll get it. You got it. And so you go at it again, fail again, condemnation again. It's a cycle. It's quicksand. You go deeper. God has set us free from the cycle. Through when you receive Jesus' perfection and his perfect righteousness, guess what? You're not trying to achieve. You arrive. If I've arrived, then I'm not going to leave. Why would I leave somewhere that I've arrived? Because you don't believe you've arri- if you don't believe you've arrived, you'll leave to try to get there. God has set us free from this cycle when you understand his righteousness and grace. It says, don't be entangled again. Say again. again. Well, wait a minute. I thought the Galatians were Gentiles. They never were under the law. How can they entangled again to the Mosaic law? Well, he's not talking so much about being entangled again to the Mosaic law. What he's saying is you're getting entangled again to religion. Because they came out of heathendom. They came out of a religion of idolatry. And it was a religion, like any other religion. And it says, you've, you came out of the yoke and bondage of religion, and now you're trading it for a new version of chains, a new version of religion. They were slaves to the gods. They thought they were gods over demons, which demanded constant appeasement. Any infraction would incur their wrath. If something bad happened, like a drought or a fire, that would send them scurrying on a quest to discover who and what caused it. And they sought immediate actions to regain favor once again. Say religion. Religion. All religion is really the same. It's just repackaged and put a new name on it. Don't be entangled again with a yoke. Say yoke. A yoke of bondage. What What is a yoke used for? You put yoke on animals, but why? When would you put the yoke on that animal, the ox or the cattle? When it was time for them to do work, you would yoke them up to do work. Don't be yoked with religion. You put a yoke on cattle. You know the Jews would take a yoke, the yoke called the yoke of the Torah, at their bar mitzvah at 12 or 13, they would take on what's called the yoke of the Torah. What does that mean? They bound themselves to perpetual works to obtain God's blessing and approval. Let me say this. All religion is based upon works to obtain God's favor. Religion puts a yoke on you and then turns you into a beast of burden. Let me say that again. Religion puts a yoke on you and makes you a beast of burden. 
But Jesus offers freedom. Jesus offers us perfection freely. However, you must realize we still have a life to live horizontally. There is still work to be done on earth. There's a job to go to. Marriage is work. Parenting is work. Reaching out to the lost involves work. And so we have a horizontal life. So there is work to be done. So what do I do? So if I don't have the yoke of the law anymore, so, what, so how am I going to perform this work? Exchange yokes. Because Jesus has a fresh and a new yoke for you to wear to do your New Testament, New Covenant working from. It's called the yoke of grace. Well, Pastor, I don't know where's that found, the yoke of grace. I'm glad you asked me. Matthew 11, look at verse 28. Jesus said, come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden. Now, who was he writing to at this time? The Jews that were laboring under the Mosaic law, trying to earn salvation, approval, and blessing from God. They were, it was heavy, and it was laborious, and that they'd given up. They're just panting on the side of the road. And Jesus said, come unto me, you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you more to do. I will give you rest. This speaks to the rest of the new birth. That when you come to him, you can accept salvation, accept righteousness in the new birth, and you can rest from your own self-righteous works to try to earn from God. But I wish he would have stopped talking. It would have been beautiful if he would just periodize that and not said anything. But he continued to talk. Keep reading. Take my yoke upon you. What's a yoke used for? Work. The first yoke they were under was a single yoke. They were yoked up all by themselves, doing all the work, all the labor, and they were wore out. But this yoke has two openings. Take my yoke and be yoked up with me. See, a wise farmer had the double yoke, and so you would actually take an older ox that was strong, knew the path for the sowing in the field, knew the way, but then you took a young, inexperienced ox that had no experience, had not done it before, and you yoked him up with the older ox, and that younger one, the more it strained, the more they were actually not helping the process. The more it just relaxed and let the older one do the work and just follow it along, he would take that younger one and end up going to the right place at the right time, sowing the right thing in the right field. And it was an empowered work as he just walked along. That's the work God's called you to in your Christian walk. Because if what you're doing right now is heavy and you're frustrated and it's so hard, you've got your own yoke on, you're not yoked up with Jesus. You're doing your own thing. Are you ready to stop doing your own thing and be yoked up with Jesus? Well, well, He's asking me to do something new, Pastor. He's asking me to do a new ministry, and I'm scared. Yoke up with Jesus. He knows. He knows how it's done. He knows where to go. Your job, the more you strain, the more nervous you are, the more you try to make it happen, you're frustrating it. Just relax. Tell someone to take a major chill pill. 
and walk along at the pace of his grace and let him lead you. He's been there. He knows how to lead you. And how do you know you're yoked up with Jesus? Verse 30. For my yoke is extremely hard and my burden is tremendously hard. Clueless translation, I'm sorry. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How do you know you're yoked up with Jesus in his grace? Easy and light. Easy and light. Paul said that what he was, look at 1 Corinthians 15, 10. This is Paul yoked up with Jesus. He used to be yoked up to his own yoke and trying to fulfill the righteousness of the law himself and failing, but he learned to yoke up with Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, this is a life of a Christian yoked up to Jesus. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. What does that imply? Grace can be in vain if you don't appropriate it. But I labored. I thought this was the apostle of grace. Yeah, he is. He said, I labored. Say, I labored. I labored. More abundantly than all the apostles. Yet not I. I was doing it, but it doesn't really seem I was. I was walking along. But it was so easy and light. It really wasn't me. But it was the grace of God which was with me. Jesus is the grace of God. It's with me. Don't be entangled again with the bondage of being a slave. You know the Israelites got out of Egypt, but Egypt never got out of them. The Israelites got out of Egypt, but Egypt and slavery never got out of them. Christians, you've been set free from the bondage of religion by what Jesus has done, but religion hasn't got out of you, some of you. Or you're still trying and feel like it's up to me and my own yoke to try to pull this off for God. Verse 2. <laughs> That's when I knew in the first service, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Verse 2. And I put it on them. I said, you're not listening fast enough. That was really bad. I should never do that, but I did that. Verse 2. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you a little. Indeed, I, Paul. I, Paul, am saying this. The greatest Pharisee that's ever lived. If anyone gave it a swing, I gave it. If anyone did their very best and did better than anyone else as a human, I did it. And now I'm here saying, I, Paul, I'm saying this. It's an empty hole with no life. There's no profit. There's no life. There's no progress. The only thing you become is the greatest sinner there is. I, Paul, am saying to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Circumcision. That was the issue of the Judaizers. 
They're saying, yeah, it's great you learned about the Messiah. You need the Messiah, but guys, to really become covenant people like Abraham and what the law teaches, the way you become a covenant person is circumcision. And so you're, if you, re, you haven't really entered in on this thing yet. You've given, Paul kind of laid a foundation for you here, but to enter in, you need to become a covenant person. You need to be circumcised. First of all, this shows that the Galatians had not ever been under the law because they were never circumcised. Secondly, it appears the Galatians were still taking their time in fully accepting the law because they had not yet been circumcised. Most of the men are still mauling over this decision <laughs> that must be made for discipleship. And we're not yet ready to make that decision. Next of all, this was hugely divisive in the church. How was it divisive, circumcision? Is it put a huge wall of separation between men and women in the church? In the Old Covenant, only men were circumcised, and men were seeing the covenant people of God, and women were lower status in the Old Covenant. Oh, but Jesus changed things. Looser and let her go. And salvation's for men and women, and they're both born again in equal righteousness before the Lord. And now this division's coming in, now once again to make women sub-quality. But as sons of God, remember sons of God is not a gender. Sons of God is a position. I don't care if you're a male, female, whatever. If you're born again, you're a, you are a son of God. And as a spiritual son of God, we've all received a circumcision inwardly. I want you to see Colossians 2, look at verse 11. And then Romans 2, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, will establish this. That all believers, male or female, have received circumcision and become a covenant person of God, but it's internal, not external. Look at, Rome, look at Colossians 2, look at verse 11. In him, as Jesus, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. When you got born again, the sword of the Spirit separated your spirit from your soul. Yep. Hebrews 4.12 says the only thing that separates spirit and soul is the sword of the Spirit. And when you, get, when you heard the gospel, the sword made an incision and cut away your soul and your flesh from your spirit, and you got regenerated, you got born again, baby got new genes. And you were sealed with the Holy Spirit from any contamination. You had a spiritual circumcision. Look at Romans 8, uh, sorry, Romans 2, look at verse 28. Raise your hand if you are a Jew. A few of you in here, that's good. Romans 2, look at verse 28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. Look at verse 29. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart 
In the spirit should be a little s, and you're born again spirit. In the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Now raise your hand if you're a Jew. If you're born again, you are a spiritual Jew. Tell someone you're loaded. But there's going to be a division in the flesh, in the natural. All divisions have to deal with externals, fleshly stuff. Christ will profit you nothing. Whatever you're trying to do outwardly to try to be right with God, you have to do it perfectly, and Christ will profit you nothing. Is it possible for what Jesus did not profit somebody? I don't know if you're, you're, I don't know how committed you are to that answer. Is it possible that what Jesus did for you, for someone, not a, not profit them yeah. at all? Yeah. This verse debunks universalism. Amen. Universalism says Jesus died for all, and all get profited. All are reconciled. All are saved. This verse says that if you're trying to earn your own salvation and you and you don't put faith in Jesus. He will profit you. I did a deep word study, and I do everything for you. And I did a deep word study on the word nothing, and it means nothing. Verse 3. And I testify again to every man. Because there's always someone in the congregation that says, yeah, but I'm a special case. I know you're special. But this applies to you. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep some of the law. Mm. You're a debtor. If you're going to do one part, you're going to do one part of the law. You have to do all of the law. I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised. He's a debtor to keep the whole law. What does this bring out? You can't cherry pick the law. The 613 commandments. It's not like you go through King Super saying, I'm going to take the ice cream. I love the pizza. Take some French bread. I'll take the cake. Not so much in the broccoli. Asparagus later next time. Next time I'll be there. No, you didn't get to do that with the law. You didn't get to go down the aisle and pick the different laws you want to keep or could keep or as attractive and leave the other ones. No, you had to keep all of them. You couldn't take the law a la carte. What's a la carte? You go to a restaurant or especially a breakfast place and you can get the bacon, just the bacon, or you can get just the eggs or you can get it a la carte. But some places they don't do a la carte. You have to get the entire platter. Well, the law, you can't do a la carte. It's like going through King Supers or Safeway and going through and putting the things you want in your basket and you go up and, and to check out and they say, oh, today we're doing something different. There's no a la carte today. You either buy the entire grocery store or nothing. And you say, yeah, but I can't afford the whole grocery store. You're right. You're right. You couldn't pull off the entire grocery store of the law. You couldn't purchase it all. You could not do it all. But that's what you're looking at. But Jesus. 
already purchased the entire store for you and offers everything for free. He could purchase it all. He did it all perfectly. Romans 8, look at verse 32. God the Father did not spare his own son, Jesus Christ, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him? Now the key is him. You got to have him. But with him also freely give us all things. You need healing? Grab some healing. You need some prosperity? Grab some prosperity. Um, by the way, grab some Christian responsibility with it. It'll do you good. What's responsibility? It's your, it's your response to his ability. For a Christian, your responsibility is your response to his ability called faith. Well, pastor, circumcision was before the law. So how could, they, how could circumcision be them keeping one part of the law? Well, Leviticus 12, verse 3, it, it got into the law. And there was a law in Leviticus 12, verse 3, you don't have to turn there, where it says it commanded you to be circumcised on the eighth day. So, so God made keeping the law all or nothing. And you know what? He never wanted you to keep the law. Are you kidding me? He never gave the law for you to keep it. He gave the law for you to understand you can't keep it. So you could receive mercy. Tell someone you need mercy. Now tell someone else you really need mercy. God gave the law so that you realize I can't keep this and you could receive his love freely. But you know God made keeping the law impossible? Even if you could try to attempt it, you, can, you can't. I'm not saying because you can't pull it off or you don't have the willpower. No, I'm saying it's physically impossible to keep the law today. Because some of the laws were that certain times of the year you had to go to the temple and offer certain sacrifices at a certain times of the year in the temple. That was part of the Mosaic law. Guess what? He made it so much to where you couldn't even keep the law. He removed the temple. And asserted you as the temple. Legalists will preach their limited set of rules that they can keep or like to keep and forget the rest. They'll preach holiness hard and heavy based on their list. Sin. But it's their few rules that you have to keep. But you don't get to all the card it. It's one or all of it. It's either none of it or all of it. We cannot be saved by trying hard. You can't be saved by being sincere. You cannot be saved by doing your best. Well, pastor, I just believe I'm a good person at, a heart, at my heart level and I just do my best. and You just lied in church. You just lie. You always do your best. You don't always do your best. You watch the movie Facing the Giants? Where he was doing crawlers? And he would be doing his crawlers on his hands. And, 
And he'd fall about 10 yards and give out. And the coach says, you're not giving me your best. He goes, yes, I'm giving you my best, coach. He says, no, bring a blindfold. So he blindfolds him and put another lineman on him. And he says, now, you don't quit till I tell you to quit. And so he's yelling at him all the way down. Don't you quit. Don't you think about quitting. You don't quit. You don't quit. You keep going. You keep going. You keep going. Keep going. And finally collapsed 100 yards down. He says, now you gave me your best. And even if you always gave your best, it's not good enough. Because the standard's perfection. But Jesus gives us perfection. Verse 4. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Oh, pastor, I hate this verse. Pastor, this talks about losing your salvation, and I'm so afraid of losing my salvation. This verse has nothing to do talking about losing your salvation. How do you know, pastor? Well, look at the language here. You've become estranged from Christ. This is the best translation of this verse out of any that I found. And I'm absolutely the verse that I, version I actually use. Have you ever have to go to another verse because it says it a little bit better than your verse? This one says it the best. If you're trying to live by your own strength to try to earn anything from God, you've become estranged from Christ. I have a question for you. Have you ever heard of the term an estranged spouse? An estranged marriage. What is an estranged spouse or an estranged marriage? That means they're still married. There's a legal relationship, but you're not living together. You're not, you're not participating in the relationship. You're not talking. You're not fellowshipping. You're not partnering. There's a legal connection but there's no relationship being lived out in an estranged relationship. And it says when you are trusting in you and only you and not Jesus to be right with God or God to bless you or do something in your life, you become estranged from Christ. When a Christian takes their eyes off of Christ and puts them on themselves, which the law always does, and you start trusting in your own ability to live the Christian life, then you're living estranged from Christ. You still have a legal relationship with Christ, but in practice there is none. Well, pastor, that's never me. Well, I have a question. Do you get up in your day and you start out your day, but you don't, you don't, you don't commune and, and, and talk to God and commit your day to him and say, Lord, this is your day. I'm committing and trusting in you and leading me today and guiding me today and it's for your glory. And throughout the day, whenever you're needing to do something, you're drawing on God's grace. And I thank you for your, your Holy Spirit. You're helping me here. But no, you just go through your whole day and you even forgot. Oh, yeah, by the way, thank you, Lord, for this day as you put your head on the pillow. A prayerless Christian is an estranged Christian. A Christian that hasn't spent time feeding in the Word as life is an estranged Christian. Are you an estranged Christian?
An estranged Christian is a strange Christian. <laughs> An estranged Christian is a strange Christian. Ask somebody, are you a strange Christian? We become estranged from Christ's virtue and power to live the Christian life if we're just trusting in ourselves. An estranged Christian is a powerless Christian. You're estranged, you who attempt to live this Christian life without Jesus. To be justified, being right to, by the law. That means your own works. You have fallen from grace. Well, pastor, does not mean losing salvation? That has nothing to do with losing your salvation. He calls these believers saints. First, look it up. Beginning of the book, he calls them saints. He calls them brethren throughout the book. He says, you have fallen from grace. What does it imply when you have fallen? That you can get back up. But what it, what it implies if you've fallen is you went from a higher place to a lower place. One time I was up in my attic. You already got this, right? And you have the little girt, be the bean, wood beams, and so on. I'm on wood beams, and and I got my box of books, my commentaries. It's for you, Jesus. And I lose balance, and I step where there's not a beam. And I fell from the attic, from a higher place to a lower place. And my wife's like, what took place? And I call someone else to patch it. So I don't Grace lifts us up and makes us do what we could not possibly do in ourselves. Grace is what takes us up higher. They fell from grace. And thus descended to just natural earthbound living of their flesh. For an example, have you been in a hot air balloon? Or seen the hot air balloons on Labor Day? And you fill that with hot air and it leaves. And then, but if you get into that basket, that hot, the, the, air, the dynamics of the law of the lighter air to the heavy air, it, it lifts you up and you're in the basket and it lifts you up above gravity. But, but if you chose to jump out of the air, uh, out of the hot air balloon, without a parachute, you would soon discover your natural state and tendency of an earth dweller. Very quickly. It's not the fall that hurts you, it's the sudden stop at the bottom. <laughs> Let me say something to you. The law doesn't provide a parachute. The grace of God is the power of God, the ability of God to lift us up and live an impossible life that the flesh could never achieve in a million years. And so in closing, I want to, to bring out how practically can you draw upon the grace of God to live and yoke up with Jesus. And so it's through the ministry of the Holy Spirit because next week, He's, in verse 5, he, for the first time, he introduces the Holy Spirit. 
as the difference between natural living and supernatural living, the Holy Spirit. I want you to look at John 16, look at verse 7. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit given to you. And it inaugurates, Jesus inaugurates the new covenant with these words. What's the difference between old covenant and new covenant living? He inaugurates it in this verse. John 16, look at verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I leave. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Who is the helper? Holy Spirit Spirit is the helper. And he's been sent to help you live the Christian life. He's the power source for the Christian walk. But I want you to see the word helper. It's the Greek word. We're almost done. The Greek word, don't disengage. This is the, the Greek word for helper is parakletos, which means literally called alongside to aid and help, to call upon. I'm going to make a statement. I'll suck the air out of the room. I'll put it back. Some, the Holy Spirit helps some Christians a whole lot more than others. Not because he's a respecter of persons. It's because some Christians depend on the Holy Spirit, lean upon the Holy Spirit as their helper than other Christians. Most Christians are doing a self-help, do-it-yourself project. The helper. You must call upon the Holy Spirit to help you. Why, do, why doesn't he just help you? Because he's given you free will over your life. He's given you authority in your life. He's not going to come in and just do stuff for you. You must call upon him. And when you do that, you'll yoke up with Jesus. And it'll be a supernatural work. Light and easy. Light and easy. Light and easy. Light and easy. Bow your heads. You'd say, Pastor, there's an area of my life where I'm yoked up alone. It's been so hard and I've been saying, God, where are you? And he's saying, I want to do, the, you never were meant to do this for me. You're to do it with me. And, and no longer, am I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be helping you do your deal. Seek me early and you'll find me. Yoke up with me, I'm the older ox, I've been there. I've been in your future, and I know where to go. I know where to sow. I, I have the strength. You yoke up with me, just follow on. You're straining, and you're trying, and you're worrying, and you're stressing is not helping. Relax and go at the pace of my grace. Trust me and my love, and my faith, and my life, the laws on the inside of you, and tr- draw upon me. And I'll cause you to do the supernatural. I'll lift you up higher than you could ever go. And you say, Pastor, that's my life. And I realize I've been yoked up alone. But I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to receive. I'm going to receive the gift of the yoke of grace. And yoke up with Jesus today. I want you to raise your hand high. Wave it at me. Father, I thank you for those that are no longer going to do this alone. But they're yoking up with you. And you're guiding and leading them and empowering them and lifting them up higher and setting them in the freedom they've never had. And we thank you for taking them to the right field, sowing the right seed at the right time, at the right time. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Praise God. Uh, the Lord was showing me um, this word symbiotic. And if you know in the critter world, it's like one critter is helpful to another critter, and they both need each other. And so I just wanted to exhort us today. Holy Spirit is in us. He lives in us if we're born again. He's there. But we have to draw out. We have to uh, um, allow that power. Literally, it's so, it's so simple. Just, God, I need you. I'm drawn on you. You're in me. So it's a, But he can't do it without us either, y'all. So he's there. And if we don't ever... You know, if we're just doing it all on our, all on our own, that's not going to work. So it literally takes the two of us together. And he's willing, he's waiting. Let's draw on him today. God, just, you put it on my heart, the story behind this song. just want to touch on. The man who wrote this song, he had, you know, he was on a ship at sea. He, is, he had just lost his wife. And he had just lost his, only, his daughter. They had both passed away. And he's going through this sorrow and this grief, and he comes, and God gives him this song. And I just hear the Lord saying over you guys today, when you can't get, when you don't understand the how, you're going to make it through, the grief, the sorrow, the pain, whatever it is you're going through in life, the Holy Ghost is there, and you got to let him flow through. And it's out of the, that pain that the Holy Ghost, he's going to redeem it. He's going to restore it. The Holy Ghost, lean into the Holy Ghost when it doesn't make sense, when it doesn't seem possible, when it seems there's no way, the Holy Ghost will make a way. He's going to flow through you in those situations. And I just, I just want to pray with you guys. God, just thank you for these awesome people. And I just pray that you would help them to press in, to lean into the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, and just help them in these situations when they don't know. They don't see the way through, but you're their way through. And all they have to do is just be, and like Pastor said, just keep their eyes on Jesus. And you've, you've got it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I believe there's somebody here that has an estranged relationship. It could be a spouse but it could be a child, a grandchild, a friend that you know this friendship ended, but it didn't end well and didn't end right. And you know that friendship was of God. But there's been a, a severing of fellowship and communication. Maybe you participated in it, maybe it was wholly on their side. You don't understand. Well, it says in Colossians that the blood of Jesus reconciles things in the heavens and reconciles things on the earth. And I believe the Spirit of the Lord is wanting to reconcile and restore estranged relationships. And some of you, he's going to ask you to make the first step. Preferably to call and actually talk to them. If you can't possibly talk to them, he's going to show you the words to write or to, to, to text, or if you can't talk physically. And I believe that there is going to be a supernatural breaking of the enemy's works in that situation. I believe there's going to be a change as we speak in the Spirit. And even this week, you're going to see relationships restored. So, so if that's you, there's an estranged relationship in your life that you believe the Lord is wanting to touch why don't you stand to your feet? 
Those around, reach out your hands and touch your shoulder or something. Father, we thank you for, for these relationships. And the enemies come in to divide and to destroy. And I bind you, Satan, and destroy your work in the name of Jesus Christ. Come down. And now, Father, the power of the blood that reconciles all things in the heavens and reconciles all on the earth. I speak the power of reconciliation by the power in the name of Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. And Father, I thank you for restoration. And for those that are to speak to the and make the first step, you'll give them wisdom and give them strength. They'll call upon you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, help me with this. Strengthen me. Give me the words, Holy Spirit. And he will. And it'll be of God and it'll be quickened word that will reach the heart of that person. Some are just going to reach out to you and you're going to get a phone call this week or in the coming days. And when you do, please fill out a praise report card. We want to hear about it. So, Father, I thank you for restored relationships to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.